Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Some of you may be old enough to remember this. Back in the 20th century, when you wanted to fly somewhere, you had two choices. You could call the airline and buy a ticket, or you could call a travel agent who, for some magical reason, could get you the same ticket for less money. Then along came the online travel site revolution. Now, instead of making a two-minute phone call, we can spend hours, even days, comparing prices and airline schedules before buying a plane ticket. Although we feel like we're our own travel agents today, it's not quite that simple. Behind the scenes, online travel giant Expedia employs around 15,000 people in 20 countries. One of those folks is Expedia's area manager, Ted Bogan, based here in New Orleans. Uh, Ted, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Now, one of the downsides on flying is, unlike driving, you can't just leave any old time you want, unless you start up your own airline and set up your own flight schedule. And that's what Stan Little did. Stan started Southern Airways Express in 2013 so he could help others like himself get around the South. His airline flies out of New Orleans Lakefront Airport to 10 southern cities, including Destin and Atlanta. Stan, uh, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here in New Orleans. Now, Stan, with major players like U.S. Airways and American Airlines and then Delta and Northwest merging, uh, reportedly so they can survive, it would seem like either a crazy time or a perfect opportunity to start up an airline. Uh, you're about a year into this venture. And that's about the time you'd expect to start knowing whether you're onto something or whether, in fact, this was a crazy idea. <laughs> what's, what's the verdict, Stan? If you had asked me this six months ago, I would have said, I think this was a crazy <laughs> idea. But you're exactly right. That one-year time period was kind of when both the public and investors started saying, well, maybe this is something that's legitimate. We're starting this year to see not just leisure travelers that were saying, I'll take any way to get to Destin without driving eight hours. <laughs> We're seeing business travelers between Memphis and Atlanta, for example, which is served 15 times a day with nonstop flights on jetliners. We're now seeing a bleed-off from, from executives. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about CEOs in a lot of cases uh, that are moving over to fly with us because of our convenience factor. Now, in Atlanta, do you fly out of the Atlanta I fly out of, or is there another airport? Oh, gosh, there? goodness, no. Uh, we fly out of Peachtree DeKalb, which is just north of Buckhead. Oh, so it, it's within, where I am. Yeah, so it's, a, within, yeah. it's within 10 miles of anywhere in Atlanta from a business perspective that you want to be. And it's within 15 miles of, you know, most of the population of, of that part of DeKalb, Fulton, uh, and Gwinnett counties. Now, and you fly to some place, you go to, see, you go to Chattanooga in case somebody wants to see the, the Moon Pie Factory. That would be, uh, <laughs> that'd be good. You can go to an alumni event for yourself by going to Oxford, I guess. Uh, we go to Oxford. We also go to Knoxville, Tennessee, if you're a Tennessee alumnus. <laughs> 
we go to uh, Destin, as you mentioned, Panama City, uh, Birmingham. In fact, we're looking very seriously about a Birmingham to New Orleans flight. Really? Uh, which we haven't done. Southwest did that for years and years, and they, they uh, discontinued right, they that Absolutely. flight. Two 737s a day, uh, nonstop between Birmingham and New Orleans, and now that number is zero. So. And speaking of, you, you mentioned the size of the plane. How big are your planes? How many does it seat? We, all of our aircraft seat 10 people. And the reason that it's 10 and that we don't go, there's some routes we could easily put in. Because you know, there were 12 or apostles. 15 or 20. I'm just trying to just point this out <laughs> well, we cut out the two bad ones and left them <laughs> behind. Uh, it's a, a DOT, Department of Transportation Regulation. If we want to serve Lakefront or PDK and not have our passengers endure TSA security hassles, for example, the oh. magic number is 10. You move higher than that, and now you've got to go to Hartsfield or you've got to go to Louis Armstrong. So we found this niche where we can say, fly like it's a charter flight. You show up 15 minutes before your departure time, not an hour and a half. You park your car 50 feet from the door of the airport. <laughs> you come in, you get yourself a free cup of coffee, usually a free Wall Street Journal. You use the free Wi-Fi that's there. You're traveling in the same terminal as the CEO of a, of a major corporation here in town. You walk out the same door that he does or she does, yeah. and then you're on a plane five minutes later. <laughs> now, I, I know people listening are wondering, you know, where's break-even for you? I know it's different for different flights, but um, you know, how many folks do you need on a plane for you to be all right? Generally, from an operational perspective, we need to sell about half the aircraft. Uh, then we have our fixed costs, you know, our reservation agents and our IT costs. I and know a know. guy at Expedia. That's, that's the great thing. <laughs> so interesting. That you, you didn't tell me who, uh, who my, 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 uh, your other guest was going to be that I'd get to eat with today. Interestingly, um, we have never, uh, to this point, been able to sell our tickets on the major uh, online travel agencies. Everyone who's bought a ticket in the last year and a half has gone directly to our website or has called our call center. I signed the Expedia contract this, mor this very morning. No Are way. You at, me? at the Memphis International Airport right before I left to come down here, I signed an Expedia contract. And we'll be the team. Oh, thank you. Wow, we're looking forward to being hands. And this is Truly, I had no idea that, that oh, well, we would get We arranged this. I'm really today. expecting like a finder's feel like a washer dryer or something like this. This, is, this has got to be terrific. Now, Ted, with all this new business you've received in the last 30 seconds, oh, they, uh, <laughs> now, lately, we've gotten used to hearing good news business stories around here, but when a company of Expedia's size and smarts decides, as it did recently, to double down on New Orleans, well, that's a fascinating development. The company announced that it's expanding New Orleans into one of its hub cities, and after being the sole employee here for a few years, you're now leading a team of five people. Uh, what does the expansion in New Orleans mean for Expedia, and what does it mean for the New Orleans tourism sector? So for Expedia, it means that we have the opportunity to uh, increase our relationships and our depth with our hotel partners. Uh, we saw an opportunity about two years ago to test out and see if we had more headcount, if we had more management locally, what would the impact be. We hired one other person. Uh, at that point, there were two of us. Uh, the impact was tremendous. So we saw that with two people, we, we increased our business nearly 30%. We thought, well, what if we have four or five or six? Uh, and so far, uh, it's held true. Uh, we opened up our office in July. We're at uh, Plus 8 Charles. 
we've, we've got five people there now. Uh, we actually just hired our sixth this morning that will be joining us in a couple of months. And then we're going to be at capacity, which means we're going to be looking for office space. As we're dedicating uh, employee resources to this market, we're looking at other markets that may be interesting that have opportunity. We picked up Baton Rouge uh, about a year ago. We're thinking maybe a HOMA market Will or that be operated out of here? Out of this office. Wow. So uh, tell me, what is a hub to you? What, is, what does that mean? For, for us, what we see is there's a great value in having our people that work with hotels close to the hotel partners. We don't want to be having conversations all over the phone. Uh, for years, it was operated out of three major offices, Orlando, Dallas, uh, and Seattle. Uh, we found that when we put our employees in closer contact with the market, there's a, better, there's a better warm and fuzzy feel. We get a better relationship. We get a better product. We get more communication. Uh, so our goal is to have hotels, and specifically I'm in the hotel side of the business, uh, be able to easily have access to support for Expedia and be able to partner with us to drum up business where they have a need. You're negotiating with these hotels here, I guess, locally, uh, right? I mean, in terms of getting blocks of rooms and... We don't necessarily negotiate for blocks of rooms. We do negotiate on terms on how we're going to work with the local hotels. Uh, in New Orleans, a large amount of our inventory is independent product. Hotels like Windsor Court or Le Pavillon Hotel, Maison Dupuy, these are all independent hotels and have locally negotiated contracts. The larger chains, Marriott, Hilton, Hyatt, this is all done at a global level. But because we have so much inventory locally that's independent, uh, we do about a third of our business with these independent hotels. That means that our, our uh, partnership with them has to be a lot closer, has to be a lot tighter. We have to have a lot better communication with these hotels. And then the thing I was thinking about when, I, when, I, when you were coming on the show is that I had uh, read that you were starting to make that effort that we're starting to hear from a lot of guests of trying to market something beyond the French Quarter when, you, when you're thinking of New Orleans. I mean, how are you doing it? Or We're doing it. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the challenges with a market like New Orleans is we do very well on weekends and we do very well in the French Quarter. So there's a large uh, uh, opportunity, uh, excess capacity, either weekday or out of the French Quarter. And so one of our most recent new hires, uh, it's her job to go into areas like here in, in the Garden District, to go into Mid-City, to go into the Marigny, even go to the lakefront and find hotels, small inns generally, bed and breakfasts, get them signed up, uh, get them on the program and start siphoning some of the demand to some of these uh, smaller products that are, that are quintessential New Orleans that in the past maybe thought Expedia was too big for them. Now, when you mentioned that, I started thinking of all the controversy regarding, you know, Airbnb and all these little places. I, how do you how do you how do you figure all that out? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to do business with and things like that? Well, to to contract with us, you need to have a tax ID. You need to be a reputable business. We're not going to uh, contract your back bedroom to sell you know your son's room who's off for college. Uh, Mom, what happened? <laughs> yes, <laughs> You know, the, these are reputable organizations that we contract with, and, and uh, we do a visual site inspection of each property that we contract with to make sure that it's a product that our customer is looking for. And, and Stan, let me, uh, what got you into this business? I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting story. We were, I've owned a plane, and I've owned a couple planes uh, since college. And uh, my pilot and I were flying around about a year and a half ago, going down to uh, the Bahamas for a dive trip. 
And I was asking him, are you available next weekend? Uh, you know, my cousin wants to borrow the plane to go to Destin. I've got a, a couple friends that want to go down there the weekend after that. And so I was scheduling him on, on all of these trips. And he said, look, why don't you just bring me on full time? I'll fly it every day and you can sell seats. And I said, you know, it can't that, be that, that easy. That right? actually is not a bad idea, but it can't be that easy. And so the idea was kind of discarded until a few drinks, uh, oh. you know, were had that night. So many great stories. Yeah, and then, you know, that brings it back. Well, wonder how difficult uh, it actually would be. I can tell you it's not as easy as one would think to start an airline. Uh, it, it was months and months of not just research and of being told no but of doing more legal research to get them to yes uh, from a government regulations perspective. Uh, we at Southern undergo the same scrutiny from a, uh, from a maintenance perspective, from a safety perspective, that the big guys at Delta and United do. So it's putting all kinds of programs in place. You just can't go out and say, I've got an airplane, I'm about to start selling seats, because you'll be in jail shortly thereafter. <laughs> now, is there somebody like you in different regions of the country, somebody that flies from you know, Toledo to Champaign or something like that? To my knowledge, we're about the only guys in the country that are doing, it's called FBO to FBO, which means fixed base operator to fixed base operator. Uh, And the fixed base operator at the general aviation parts of the airport are the executive terminals. They're where you fly, you know, your Cessna 172 or your Gulfstream G5 uh, to, and get fueled and use their lobby and that sort of thing. To my knowledge, we're the only ones that are doing that currently on a seat-by-seat basis. So, you know, hundreds of charter operators where you can say, I want to go from Poughkeepsie to to Buffalo, and they'll say, all right, we've got a G5 waiting for you. It'll be (laughs) $38,000, or we've got a King Air, and it'll be $6,000. We're the only ones we know of where you can go in and buy an individual seat that operates like a charter. Now, since you mentioned pricing, what what, I know it's – it's different in different markets and all. What, what are prices like? Uh, our, our least expensive fares are $148, and in season you'll find that New Orleans to Destin, which is our, our least expensive uh, ticket in the system. The most expensive ticket in the system would be a walk-up, same-day, last seat on the aircraft, you know, Memphis to Atlanta or Destin, which is a long route for us, 298. So we think that we've found a model that because we only have to sell nine seats, you know, we, we can afford to not have to have those $1,000 seats on there to make our, our monthly budget. We just well, need to sell nine of them. But Ted, let me ask you, um, you're, in addition to the fact that you're trying to sell more than just the French Quarter, you are actually uh, got some new markets you're trying to tap. We're targeting what we call the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, uh, India, and China. And these are markets that... Um, you know, they're starting to travel more. They haven't traveled as much in the past. They have huge populations. And uh, we think that as a destination, if we could, we could crank up our share in, in uh, inbound traffic from these markets, we're going to naturally flow into that excess capacity that we have available here in New Orleans for, for hotel count uh, being, you know, Sunday through Thursday travel. So this will help uh, increase the exposure of New Orleans as a, as a global destination. It'll help our local hotels sell some of these weekday rooms more. And these people that, that travel longer, they, they, um, they stay longer. They book so. further in advance. They're more high-dollar customers. A weekend customers. from New Zealand would really, that would yeah, really get Yeah, it's really you, tough. So they come and they stay four, five, six nights. 
Now it's time to do the checklist. It's the part of the show where we uh, take a little break and ask you a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a, on a loan application. I'm going to start with Stan. You know, you're really quite an entrepreneur here. I assumed you didn't like the law. There's a... <laughs> well, you make it sound like I'm a lawbreaker. I don't, no, I don't no, no. approve of <laughs> law. <laughs> you're a recovering lawyer. That's right. They, now, when, when you were a child, were you in leadership or entrepreneurial ventures? Were you that lemonade kid or what? No, I wasn't really that lemonade kid. At least not, not in the five, six, seven, eight-year-old. I got my first job when I was uh, 13, which was actually a year younger than one was allowed to do this. But I was, uh, I was giving a speech as a junior high school student. And the guy that owned the local radio station where I grew up uh, heard me and said, you have a voice for radio. Not you a face to, for radio. Ought, yeah, exactly. Yes, he a, didn't say that. Didn't, <laughs> we didn't have a TV station where I grew up either, so <laughs> it's a good thing. He said, you ought to do that someday. And I got to thinking about it, and I sent him a letter the next day and said, I would really you know, like to do this. So he offered me a job as a DJ at age 13 on the <gasps> little local oh. AM country music station where I grew up and I did that for two or three years and then the gentleman passed away and the radio station went dark. So I did a business plan, talked my dad into going down to the bank with me and co-signing a loan and we bought the radio station. (laughs) Put it back on the air my senior year in high school. So, um, you know, it was one of those get up every morning at 6, go in and do the local news, and uh, then head off to English class for the first period. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Did, Did you keep the country format? Of your radio station? Or did you no, believe this was the late 80s. Uh, we actually turned it to the first news talk uh, station outside, of, uh, outside of, of immediate Memphis. We were about an hour outside of Memphis. News talk was just about to get big. Rush Limbaugh had just gone yeah, uh, yeah. nationwide. Uh, we, we lobbied for and got a CBS affiliation for, we were a 250-watt radio station. So, I mean, you couldn't pick up this station if you were more than five miles outside the city limits. <laughs> So, but we, we didn't act that way, and so I, I, I love the history of CBS, and Bill Paley has always been a, a hero of mine, so I, I said, I want to get this. We lobbied them. Back then, you had to have a satellite dish that was like 30 feet wide <laughs> to be able to <laughs> upload and download on the satellite, and they finally granted it, and uh, they offered, as they do all affiliates, the chance to come up to BlackRock in New York and meet all of the leadership, meet Dan Rather and do all of this. And let me tell you, looking back on it now, because I remember this as clear as day, this 15 and a half year old, I may have been 16, this 16 year old kid, they've got the big signs that say, welcome Stan Little to CBS uh, News in New York. And this 16 year old kid walks in. <laughs> and, and then, you know, at first they were trying to redirect me to, uh, you know, the Saturday morning department, I guess they thought. And I said, Stan Little, how do you do? Uh, and the looks on their faces were, uh, were priceless. So, um, it was a very interesting childhood growing up. That uh, story does stitch together the guy who would start his own airline. <laughs> at this that is uh, that is great. Now, Ted, let me ask you. I know you've uh, when it was just yourself, you never hired anyone because probably never left your pajamas running XPR. <laughs> but it's um, but, uh, but now that you're a real hub, um, what's your favorite question to ask someone in an interview? I, I have a couple scenarios that I build up, but for the sake of time, I'll go with the. The favorite one is if I could put you on a plane right now and you could go anywhere in the world, my costs, where would you go and why? And that tells me how adventurous this person is, how passionate they are about travel. Uh, I, I, and I look for something new. I look for something fresh. I don't uh, necessarily want to hear the typical 
Orlando, Vegas, New York. I want something maybe a little exotic. I want something um, That's creative. where Chattanooga comes in, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'll take that. I'll take Chattanooga <laughs> and tell me why. And maybe it's because I don't know anything about it. So you can educate me as to why this is your next uh, you know, dream vacation. Stan, your competition isn't... Well, I guess other airlines are your competition, but really the car is your competition. I know. Right? I always say Delta and American are not our competition. Ford and General Motors are our competition. <laughs> and, and it's true because if you look in the, in the trend across the South and really across the nation the last several years, what you've got are airlines that are buying bigger, more fuel-efficient jets that are designed to fly longer distances. It's why Southwest has, has dropped the Birmingham route for here, from here, for example. The new jets they're getting in are not designed to go 300, 400 miles. They're designed to, to optimally perform at a 700 to 800 mile range or further. So we've got all of these routes across the south that if you want to go from, from for example, New Orleans to Birmingham, you either have to fly west to Dallas and then fly back over New Orleans or you've got to fly east to Atlanta and you're flying right over Birmingham. <laughs> so they don't make sense from a time perspective. So people say, I'll just get in the car and drive five hours. And what we saw was this, this niche opening for a carrier that can come in and say, that, no, that's our job, is not to take you to Paris or London or Seattle. It's to take you from here to Birmingham. And we, we can get you there in an hour and 30 minutes. You know, total travel time, two hours at the, at the outset, where any other way you're going to go, it's going to be competitive time-wise with the car. That is, that is I've you know, learned a lot today. There's uh, this. <laughs> Stan Little, Ted Bogan, the tourist and travel slice of the pie is a vital piece of the New Orleans economy. Uh, the easier and cheaper it is to get here and stay here, the bigger that slice of the pie is going to be. Uh, thanks to you both for all the work you're doing and uh, the businesses you're bringing to the city. Th and thanks for joining me in Out to Lunch today. A real pleasure, Peter. Oh, Thank this you. Is Thank great. You, Peter. I'm, I'm glad you got to try out your airplane, too. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> now we're off to Memphis, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah, exactly. laughs> he did offer us that. My, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Stan Little, Chairman and CEO of Southern Airways Express, and Ted Bogan, the Area Manager for Expedia. You can find out more about Stan and Ted's excellent adventures in airline and other <laughs> travel enterprises by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Chris Keogh was our engineer and our researcher on today's show. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast, and you can listen to past shows, and you can even keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our website. It's neworleans.com and www.no.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Baton Rouge-based PreSonus Audio Electronics. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.